0: We will summarize with Seth Carpenter, he's chief global economist at Morgan Stanley. Seth, I want to go to WTO global markdown on GDP, but we must speak of what Ellen Zetner will parse of this inflation report. Is there any sight out there, uh, Professor Carpenter, Dr. Carpenter, of demand destruction?
1: Uh, So demand destruction is a a tricky phrase, right? It says that prices have gone up because there was so much demand that demand goes away, which presumably then brings prices back down. I I do think it's clearly a hit to the consumer from the surge in oil prices. Tom mentioned just how much (coughs) gasoline prices were up. You were both talking about where real wages are going. I think it's unquestionable that when uh, some of the the categories, energy, food, that especially the lower end of the income distribution can't just substitute away from, that's got to be a hit overall to consumption spending. Uh, What I think is more important with this report though is the fact that core underperformed and we saw the rally in rates. I think if you look at used car prices, they were down sharply. Uh, Even the rent and owner's equivalent rent which stayed solid was actually off just a little bit. So instead of a continuing upward trend to those key drivers of inflation, we're actually seeing a little bit of a softening. So in our numbers, at least, and it's always hard uh, to make a forecast, but in our numbers, we've got to the peak of inflation and we're likely to start to see things come off, albeit gradually from here.
2: Seth, I got to say the number, the absolute number came in above expectations. The knee-jerk response is almost as though uh, this is a downside surprise. What do you make of that?
1: I I think it really is the difference between core and headline. I think everyone knew that uh, oil prices had gone up and that that was gonna show through to this month's print. I think everyone knew that commodity prices for agriculture had gone up and that that was going to show through to this month's print. And so for the durable, underlying trend of inflation that's going to be with us, not just this year, but next year, that the Fed may have to respond to, again, not just this year, but next year. That, I think, is what the rates market is reacting to.
2: Seth, how much can you really project out from this one report? We've been talking about how it's not just necessarily the peak, but how quickly it comes down. On the margins, how much does your forecast change after today's number?
1: Well, on the bright side, our forecast doesn't have to change all that much. Uh, The core was a little bit softer, but for me, what's really important here is the pattern that we are starting to see some of that softer reading in some of the goods. We are starting to see, for instance, those used car prices start to come down. Uh, I think in that sense, it's very much the pattern, the trend as opposed to the specific number.
3: Does that pattern change anything for the Fed, Seth?
1: Uh, You know, at the margin, it probably takes off just a little bit of the, um, you know, the, the fire on the on the on the burner at this stage. But I don't think it changes things dramatically. There's no two ways about it. Inflation is high. Inflation is too high for the Fed's comfort level. All of the members of the Fed, even the historically dovish ones, have said exactly the same thing. So in that regard, I don't think this actually changes things much. In fact, one of the points I've been making to clients is, one month CPI here or there is not going to be responsive for the Fed. What's going to matter uh, at least as much is how strong is the real economy? How much can they lean in to the strength of the economy to slow things down, to get inflation under control? That I THINK IS GOING TO BE THE KEY.
3: WELL, AND THAT COMES DOWN TO THE TOLERANCE OF CONSUMERS FOR HIGHER PRICES, THEIR PROPENSITY TO CONTINUE SPENDING EVEN IN THE FACE OF THEM. SETH, WHAT IS YOUR EXPECTATION AROUND THE DEMAND PICTURE AND WHETHER OR NOT DESTRUCTION IS GOING TO START TO TAKE FORM IN THE FACE OF HIGHER PRICES REALLY ACROSS THE BOARD?
1: YEAH, SO um, ELLEN Zetner, OUR CHIEF U.S. ECONOMIST, AND HER TEAM uh, PUT OUT a, a, A BIT OF A FORECAST REVISION uh, on Friday. And we took down the consumption path for the second quarter, largely because we did see this big spike in oil prices. Now, a lot of those that rise in oil prices from the Russian invasion of Ukraine has has reversed, not 100%, but a lot of it has come out. Nevertheless, what we see in the data as a regular pattern is when energy prices <clears throat> spike for supply reasons, we do see a pullback overall in spending in the next couple of months. And so we are expecting... <clears throat> Too to be on the softer side
0: for consumption. Seth, I want you to talk about the social impact here. The integrand, folks, is the area above or below whatever the horizontal line is. It's one measurement of the, the tone of the x-axis. And the great financial crisis has an integrand of negative income, Seth, that is small now compared to what we're going through. The agony here for certain deciles of America has to be tangible.
1: Uh, No question about it. Uh, The past couple of years has been extraordinarily difficult for folks, and it has been extraordinarily more difficult for folks at the lower end of the income distribution. Um, The only silver lining there is that we do see a differential in wage growth across the income distribution, and it has been highest at the lowest quintile. Yes. So. In that sense, there's a bit of comfort, but I I suspect for anyone who had lost their job during the pandemic, that's a bit of cold comfort. But but Seth, very
0: quickly here, and I'm so sorry we don't have the time, I'm looking at a middle class flat on its back on an inflation basis.
1: Uh, Unquestionably, unquestionably. And in that regard, I think the retreat of oil prices, some of it on the news of the coordinated release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, that's got to help some, but it's not going to go anywhere near to the extent of making people feel good. The economy is growing extraordinarily rapidly. Jobs are being created extraordinarily rapidly. And yet I think the sentiment as measured through various surveys is that people are still feeling fairly hard done by. And that's a very challenging thing when the macro Feeling doesn't match the micro feeling.
0: Dr. Carpenter, thank you so much to Morgan Stanley, Seth Carpenter. She is watching the French elections, is one example of the new autocracy worldwide, the strident moment that we live in, and that is Joyce Chang, chair of global research at J.P. Morgan, herding cats, dealing with Bruce Kasman every day as best she can. Joyce, give me the new theme at J.P. Morgan. You wrote most of Diamond's 44-page letter. What is the research theme of your shop into the rest of the year?
4: Well, you know, we've taken first-half growth down quite a lot because of Russia, Ukraine, the higher energy prices. I mean, in Europe, we're down three percentage points on first-half growth. So right now what we're looking at is really the first energy crisis in the decarbonization era. And what Jamie's been writing about is the need for a Marshall Plan, something where we actually look at how we can accelerate this transition, ensure our energy security, and also just uh, get used to a world where we're in – place for more volatile cycles, higher inflation, you know, higher treasury yields still to come. So there's a lot to watch right now in the commodities markets. Right. Um, you know, we're beginning to see just a, a lot of those pressures still with us.
0: You know, I, I look here, uh, Joyce, at the Marshall Plan of J.P. Morgan, and I look at David Fulkerts Landau, the academic over at Deutsche Bank, saying the same thing. There will be a massive fiscal stimulus in Europe, whether they like it or not. And then I've got Otmar Issing, the giant of Germanic economics in the FT, screaming, enough, we need to tame inflation. Describe those two forces pushing against each other, government fiscal stimulus versus a titanic fear of inflation.
4: Well, I mean, we're looking at very broad-based inflation right now. It's not just um, energy prices. I mean, taking a look at what we see in Europe, the surge in the euro area, we see that natural gas prices have actually pushed inflation above 15%. And looking at the U.S., um, and global inflation tracking close to 9% in the first quarter of the year. So there's also rent inflation, there's wage inflation. So these inflationary pressures mean that the central banks really are going to have to respond here. And we do see them moving 50 basis points in the next couple of moves, we do see that more stimulus is probably going to have to come online in China, particularly where growth is coming down there, but also in other places. We're seeing now the first discussions on you know, whether they're going to need to be some subsidies, some automatic stabilizers that are put into place if energy prices stay at these levels. And we do see um, Brent oil staying you know, ab- above the $100 mark here.
2: Joyce, at what point do rates become restrictive? How high do benchmark overnight borrowing costs have to go before it actually has an impact on inflation? We really see the Fed's um, the,
4: the Fed's fund rates getting to two and seven eighths next year. And then you have more of a pause. So I think they're going to move 50 at the next two meetings. Um, you'll revert to 25 basis points in July and thereafter. But I think the, the issue is to get to neutral as quickly as possible and see where it settles, see if you can anchor inflationary expectations.
2: But to your point about oil at 100 and the fact that China is slowing down, at what point are we looking at these dueling shocks where basically these inflation pressures are going to take some time to roll over, are exacerbated by the shocks, and will all inevitably conspire to a slowdown that people are not accurately pricing.
4: Yeah, well, everybody has first half growth down, but then they have this tilt up in the second half of the year. And that's really what m- remains to be seen. And uh, we're going to see a lot of um, you know, stress that comes in other parts of the world, you know, apart from the U.S. and Europe. I mean, if you take a look at emerging markets, um, you know, food inflation is as much as 40 to 45 percent of the basket in certain countries like India, um, in you know, the, the ASEAN countries. So these pressures are going to be with us. And I think that you know, we've made material down board revisions to grow. But the question is, is that going to continue in the second half of the year? And all eyes will be on China, because we are seeing that the numbers that will come out for March and April are really going to come down materially as they've increased the lockdowns. The lockdowns in China, they're affecting really the equivalent of more than a third of GDP right now.
3: Well, of course, it could have a direct impact on Chinese growth, Joyce. But at the same time, a lot of production is housed in China. We've seen the impact it's already had on companies that have production in Shanghai. If supply stays constrained to a certain extent, potentially exacerbated by China's COVID zero policy, how much is the Fed acting on demand actually able to make a difference? We talk a lot about the Fed's ability to engineer a soft landing. What about their ability to actually engineer a rolling over in inflation?
4: Well, I I mean, I think there's the Fed hikes, but there's also the faster um, QT to come. You know, we really do see it's the, you know, combination of the two things, but it's also doing 50 basis point moves to try to anchor the inflationary, um, you know, expectations. So I think, you know, the Fed is in the front seat taking the lead on this. But we are seeing that across um, the developed markets and the emerging markets, I mean, there's more, you know, rate hikes to come here. But, you know, I think that, you know, on the oil side, releasing from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve Fund, we don't think you're going to get to some of the worst case scenarios that we have thought about with higher oil prices. I mean, there are still ways in which in the oil market, that's a global market. You know, actions are being taken right now.
3: Well, and obviously, when faced with higher prices at the pump, when faced with higher prices at the grocery store, in theory, at some point, higher prices are going to alter consumer behavior in a more material way. When do you anticipate that real demand destruction may kick in?
4: I think that that's still a ways away. I mean, the mobility, the summer driving season um, that's kicking in. Yeah, you know, I think that that demand destruction will happen. You know, at some point um, in time. But you know, we are not in the scenarios now where we see oil over $130 per barrel. We're more in the range of looking at uh, you know $110. You know, still seeing oil prices very elevated. But I think that you have a lot of pent up demand here still as the mobility comes back online. So that's going to take some time. And I don't think. It's it's going to be something
0: that we see in the next quarter or so. <clears throat> Joyce, let me ask you a sell side question. It's what on everybody's mind right now. Whether big tech, I, I mean, we saw the Amazon bond deal yesterday where they effortlessly go out. I don't know. Maybe you got a phone call from Mr. Jassy. I can see Jassy. Get Shane on the phone. We need to move five billion of this. What, what do you think about the vibrancy of big tech in America?
4: Yeah, you know, look. I think that this is a pandemic that has really, you know, just changed the way that we live, that we work, the um, the dependency that we have on big tech. So, yeah, we still see that there's pressures that are going to be in the equity market. A lot of that coming off of, you know, the growth numbers, the higher energy prices, um, the fact that we had just such a massive rally. But I don't think that changes the overall story. Um, you know, for tech, for what we actually need now as consumers, as we're all coming back into the office and getting back to normal.
2: I do want to just ask you, Joyce, as you talk about big tech, a lot of it has to be tied to the bond market, which has given a lot of the relative valuation trade to big tech. How concerned are you about the bond markets, I don't want to say breaking, but breaking in terms of the lack of liquidity as the Fed withdraws? How much is that going to color the narrative in a way over the next six months that perhaps is different than even the rate hikes? Well, I think that,
4: you know, now 10-year yields are at a three-year high. They're finally looking like they're fairly priced, but I think that has further to go. Now, this year, we're looking at about 200 billion of treasuries that will run off this year compared to um, um, <coughs> relative to our baseline forecast due to a faster normalization that's occurring. I also think that the Fed is fully on board on selling um, you know, MBS um, to get to an all-treasury balance sheet by the middle of next year. So I think, you know, MBS sales are a real possibility in 2023. I think that uh, the sales might actually take the form of setting a floor on the runoff rather than a cap on the runoff. But I think Treasury yields still have you know higher to go here, um, and um, you know we have the stage set for the balance sheet runoff to commence in May. Um, you know, and for right now, some of those higher energy prices <clears throat> seem like they're more in check.
0: Joyce, thank you. It's been way too long. We've got to do this more often. I'm thinking weekly, Joyce. Put it on a calendar. Joyce Chang of J.P. Morgan, head of all their research effort there as well. Right now, to bring you up to date on the dynamics of this bond market, this original space, Robert Tipp joins us, chief investment strategist, head of all of global bonds at PGM Fixed Income. How much blood's on the street, Robert? Let me cut to the chase. Price down means money's being lost. How much?
5: Tremendous amount. I mean, this is a a record move in bond yields we haven't seen for, you know, 30 years plus. And uh, an even greater drop in price because you're starting from low yields, which means prices are more sensitive to yield movements. It's been a a tough period. And we've really uh, jumped the rails in terms of growth and inflation and investors have gone a long way towards handicapping that right here. Uh, And uh, we're kind of at a weighing station uh, in the market at this point. You can see uh, today that I think in in the price action, where the market is uh, rallying in the face of what we've been warned by the president, is gonna be a high inflation number. So suggesting the market is pretty oversold here, at least short term.
2: Okay, oversold, does that mean that you're buying?
5: Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't, we don't uh, discuss, you know, client accounts and and short-term activity. I think though, it's reasonable to expect, this is what you typically get in these cycles is that after the market has gotten say 250, 300 basis points ahead of the Fed, the market is that far ahead in terms of pricing in rate hikes. It's typical to get a drop in volatility, a consolidation in rates, and even a consolidation in the risk markets. In other words, some retracement tighter, some improvement in performance while the market waits for the Fed to catch up uh, and then reevaluates what's gonna be the next step in this process.
2: So you're not exactly a screaming bull here. Basically, what I'm hearing from you, and this is something that I'm actually I've been giving a lot of thought to, is that if suddenly we had been talking about how yields of 2.8 percent on the 10 year would break the market, would break the economy. They are not. And that is because growth is as fast as it is. What kind of message does that send you over the longer term about how much higher yields can go than people previously were expecting? Basically, the threshold has gone up dramatically because of the growth picture.
5: Right. So I think there are a number of steps here. First one on your comment that uh, you can't get a big rally here. You can't be very optimistic here. Uh, I'll remind you last year that in, in the midst of what was a strong economy and high inflation, the 10 year rallied from 185 down to 115, uh, only to then turn around and have to uh, reprice for what we have now. So I think it's you want to jump to the conclusion that this is going to be a one way, uh, much higher in yields from here. In terms of breaking the economy, though, uh, you know, you're looking at a housing market that is incredibly strong with very strong price appreciation and some underlying micro demographics that are boosting activity. And so as a result, uh, you know, having your mortgage rate go up to five percent, it's not clear that's going to break it. Mm. Uh, Corporate performance has been very strong and it's very common that a rise in rates does not you know, necessarily kill the earnings per share outlook for equities. And so I think you're looking at a very strong economy uh, with very high nominal growth. uh, And that's why it's able to tolerate the interest rates high uh, increases that we've seen so far and may be able to tolerate more.
3: Is that the signal you're taking from a yield curve that has steepened back out to north of 25 basis points?
5: I think the part of the yield curve to look at and, and Truman Powell, I think, tried to direct us to this and other Fed research has as well. Is the first two years of the curve the first two years of the curve is incredibly steep and when that's the case in other words the 300 basis points you know of, of rate hikes from the start of the cycle uh, that is a sign the feds to be raising rates because the economy looks good and they have runway to do so that's the part that's typically a good indicator on the economy the twos tens curve uh is signaling that after they get there the market is banking on a soft landing that is not going to be the important call i don't think until at least six, if not 12 to 24 months down the road. Once they've taken up some of the slack on the front end of the curve, then the markets I think will be in the right place to reevaluate whether this recession or not coming. But I think it's way too early. uh, And that the part of the curve to look at is the first couple of years, not the two's tens.
3: All right, so you're looking more where the Fed is looking. How do you think the Fed is viewing real yields that are still negative and how credible the market seems to believe that it is?
5: Yeah, I think there's so many moving parts here that investors are, uh, you know, much better off looking at nominal yields, looking at uh, overall conditions and whether they are tight or loose, uh, and then letting the break evens, the expected inflation rates and letting the real yields drop out. Um, because right now, you know, with inflation at, let's say, it's 8% and a 38 basis point Fed funds rate, you're looking at almost a negative 7% real yield at the front end of the curve. That's going to distort the entire curve. The liquidity of the TIPS market will compound that. Uh, and some of the dedicated investor base market segmentation will distort that as well. So I think going right to the real yields is the most confusing way to try to unravel it.
0: Uh, Robert Tip thank you for that totally agree there on the residual focus is a little bit out of whack and you got to look in a more complex analysis of inflation adjusted uh, yields mr tip of course with uh, pgem We move to Ukraine now, and we do this with truly an expert on human rights. Julie Norman is co-director of UCL Center on U.S. Politics. But her work at American University is on the heartbreak of terror and the heartbreak of human rights. Many talk it she does it. Dr. Norman, we got to cut to the chase. You were unprepared. We were unprepared for what we see in Ukraine. Forget about The Hague. Forget about war crimes. How do you respond to this in real time?
6: Well, Tom, it's certainly uh, horrific, the images that we've seen, especially over this last week or two. And unfortunately, they are unlikely to stop. We're expecting even more atrocities in the next wave of the war, which will most likely take place in the East. As you mentioned, there's been a lot of discussion about war crimes uh, trials, perhaps in the future. War war crimes tribunals tend to be quite uh, time-consuming even when they do take place, there's a lot of questions whether the international Criminal Court would have jurisdiction over what's happening now anyway. but the important thing to remember too is those uh, those type of litigation don't usually deter any actions in the moment and so even if those were to take place later they would not stop Putin now. Um, so what we have to do now more is focus on how can this conflict end as long as the conflict is continuing I expect that we'll continue to see the kinds of atrocities that we saw unfortunately. so that's That's now a two, kind of a double-sided coin, the diplomacy and the military
0: side. I, I need to be very delicate here, Professor Norman, and that is reports or speculation, rumor of chemical weapons being used down by the Black Sea. How do you determine that? In your academics, do you look for, like, canisters that the stuff was used in? Or am I thinking from World War I? How do you detect chemical weapons? Yeah, well, it obviously
6: depends on the type of weapon that's used, what kind of residue is left, what kind of, uh, as you mentioned, like canisters or these kinds of things. It tends to be, uh, again, something that is difficult to often show in the moment, especially in a situation like Mariupol, where just access to the city has been very limited. So we have heard some of these reports, but they have not been verified. It's also important to note that, again, chemical weapons take many different forms. Some we would consider, say, tear gas a form of chemical weapon, but not obviously one that is uh, you know, is, is deadly that kind of thing so the scale to which a weapon has been used usually you have to look at what actually is happening to people in that area it usually uh, again you have to have some kind of forensic evidence to show the impact as well as actually having either residue or having canisters something like that from things like phosphorus but again it's not even clear what chemical weapons has been alleged to use much less if or where they were uh, deployed Um, but again this is something that we were aware of has been a possibility
2: the reason why this is so crucial is because of the potential response to to the use of an escalation or something that is new and more horrific in this war. What do you expect the response to be at a time when the United Kingdom has come out and talked about NATO deployment?
6: Well, the UK and NATO have obviously been trying as much as they can to uh, de-escalate the conflict, but at the same time to support Ukraine through military aid. As you noted, what would perhaps uh, change that variable would be if there was a deployment of either a tactical nuclear weapon or a chemical weapon. NATO has been pretty uh, close to the chest in terms of what their options would be after that. Uh, It's expected that there would be more of a robust response. But again, the uh, alliance up until this point has been so committed to trying uh, not to get boots on the ground, not to get this actually uh, becoming some kind of uh, even broader conflict. And it'll be very difficult to find that balance if indeed something like chemical weapons are used.
0: Professor Norman, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for Insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is
1: Bloomberg.